And just want to warn you, this episode contains explicit language. Be open to, be open to opportunities. And if the door is even cracked, take a look at what's going on on the other side of the door. Um, you know, I, I had like a, I talk about having this hick inferiority complex when I got to Seattle, you know? And, you know, I read books and stuff and I wasn't a complete hick, but, you know, I still, I, I knew where I came from, you know? And I thought that everyone that was in Seattle knew something that I didn't know. And I thought that there was, you know, there was some secret, there was like a secret handshake or something that I just was never going to learn. Um, and there's not. All right. Welcome to The Path Distilled. I'm your host, Kevin Harris. My co-host is Lauren Tashman. Hi, everybody. And we're excited today. We have Mike Squires. He's the host of the Couch Roofs podcast. He's also a musician, a well-known guitarist, and we're so happy to have you today. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. What, what's going on? You, you, looks like you had a war injury with your left shoulder over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my, uh, my, the microphone going in and out of my image with this um, <laughs> odd green screen type contraption thing I have. So, yeah. So, Tell us a little bit about what uh, what you do now, and then we'll go back to the beginning of your story and kind of go through your path. Uh, I have this accidental podcast. It's purely, ac I mean, you, I hear stories like this all the time, like, oh, I was on, I was doing this thing, and then now here I am doing this. And that's pretty much how I came to have a podcast. Nice. Never, I never wanted one. <laughs> um and sometimes i still don't yeah. but it, it's something that uh, i love to you'll find out over the course of um the next however many minutes we talk that you know i don't mind talking oh yeah well it's one of those uh weird things with podcasts the sometimes you love them sometimes doing one sometimes you love them sometimes you hate them right there there are a lot of components scheduling is a is a huge pain in the butt Sometimes, sometimes I'm scheduled a month out. Sometimes I have podcast episodes, you know, banked two weeks out. And sometimes I'm recording and editing at midnight oh, yeah. for, uh, for uh, you know, publishing the next day. So, well, we'll uh, for sure get into your podcast, but why don't you take us back to how you first got into music and kind of yeah. start going down your path? Okay. Um, I think. As a kid, I, we moved a lot. I lived with my mom. My dad wasn't around. And we, so we moved, I went to like 13 grade schools. So we moved wow. a lot. And, and from the fifth grade on, I was at one school. So uh, that's a lot of moving those, during those years. And the, the last thing to get packed up and the first thing to get unpacked was always the stereo. So there was always music happening in my house. And no matter what kind of chaos was happening, 
it was always there, you know, and it was, it was music. It was good music. My, like my mom was into the good stuff. She was into Fleetwood Mac. Um, she was into uh, Boss Gags. You know, she took me to see Boss Gags when I was a kid. I saw Bob Seger when I was a kid. Oh, wow. Um, so seeing, seeing shows and hearing music all the time was, was really grounding, you know? Mm-hmm. So this is around fifth grade or is this before? Oh, this is my whole life, buddy. <laughs> this is from the time I could, I could walk, you know? Okay. But in the fourth grade, that's when they, they give kids the opportunity to join the school band. Hmm. And, you know, when you're in the lower grades, you see the older kids and, and you go and see the concert and you're like, ah, kind of, it's kind of a racket. You know, it doesn't really sound great, but look at what they're doing. Like they're making the sound all together. And so going into the fourth grade, I just, I begged my mom if, you know, from, to let me play the trumpet. And, you know, we were on food stamps and welfare. We couldn't, she couldn't buy me an instrument. She couldn't even rent me one. But uh, the school program, you know, they had loners. So I was able to, you know, get my foot in the door with music. And that was, that was music for me for a long time. I was in the school band up until I got a guitar, you know, but I was always, I always kind of knew that, that rock music was, was going to be a big part of my future. So how long was it in the time between starting the trumpet and picking up the guitar? I started uh, playing trumpet in fourth grade and I got my first guitar well, hell, uh, for, it's a funny story. I have, I had an uncle who, once we settled up in Washington, we lived in rural Washington in a little tiny town called Granite Falls. It's like a, not, it's not a logging town anymore, but it was a logging town then. And there was a mill and, you know, the, the people that were really ambitious got a job at Bayliner or, you know, if you were really lucky, you you got on at Boeing and just, you know, grind it out and and live an American life, you know? And that none of that crap ever appealed to me. I, I knew that that was not for me. Um, but I had an uncle who played the drums and he wasn't, and it's his birthday today, actually. Oh, well. So I'll give him a little shout out, <laughs> my Uncle Chris. He was a drummer back then he was never very good but he really you know like he would play i could wake him up in the middle of the night say let's jam and he would be like let's go like he was always ready to go you know and so he worked at bayliner and he cut his finger off Hmm. at work and got a settlement and loaned my mom money to buy me a guitar and amp wow and so i mean his misfortune became you know a thing that bonded the two of us playing music out in in this little tiny camper trailer that was gutted and converted into a practice space mm-hmm. behind the double wide where we all lived and i love that image of the gutted out camper as a place to play music that's man i have a photo of it 
somewhere and, and I contemplated sending that one, but that, I don't think that, um, I don't think that that photo was the, was the really the Genesis. Um, that same uncle, his record collection, I dove into, you know, 110%. And it was, I don't know if it was the nature of the music or the nature of the alphabet, but my first love was ACDC and remains. I mean, I have an Angus Young tattoo. Uh, I love ACDC. And I, I mean, when I was a kid, I had a, look at that. I made, I made that before I played Trump. I mean, I was in the second grade, maybe third, maybe third grade. Plato. Uh, action figures, ACDC action figures. <laughs> you can see there's like over there on the on the side, there's like some choose your own adventure books. That, were, <laughs> I kept on a thing. that little thing in the back was supposed to be a backdrop that said ACDC that uh, I, I used magic markers and made it, you know? Yeah, and, uh, I, so I love you even have the hat. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty cool. So, I mean, so that's an indicator right there. So that's not to get too nerdy, but to a kid, you know, the singer had the hat on, and that's a Brian Johnson thing. Yep. So this is this is pre for those about to rock and post back in black. So the only photos you could see of people back then were on the album covers, you know, or mm-hmm. on the sleeves or whatever. So that was the base. <laughs> That's the basis for them. They all have very thick legs, these guys. <laughs> the drummer is growing some giant mushrooms, but <laughs> you can tell they're ACDC because it says ACDC. <laughs> Impressive. I don't think I would have been able to, to do that. I'm not that creative. <laughs> well, you know, when you, we lived way far out of town. So, and, you know, a quarter mile up a, like a bumpy ass gravel road. Um, you know, there weren't other kids around. My cousin, yeah. I had cousins that were around and, you know, this is what you do. You do this, you read, you go out and skip rocks. I spent a lot of time skipping rocks. I can skip the shit out of a rock. <laughs> no. Well, it makes me wonder, you said your mom was into things like Bob Skaggs and Fleetwood Mac, and then your uncle obviously has some, quote, harder taste how did that influence you the rock music yeah or i guess the combination well it you know it didn't make when you're a kid none of that stuff really makes a lot of sense you're just like this is it's all music right my mom also listened to a bunch of like outlaw country she's a big willie nelson fan um a merle haggard fan but all of it, you know, she's just into all of it. Crystal, like we listen to Crystal Gale and Linda Ronstadt and Dolly Parton. And um, she never went for really the hard stuff. I think probably the hardest stuff we ever had around the house in her record collection was like Steve Miller, you know? Space Cowboy. <laughs> she had uh, the Joker album. And I just, I loved the cover of that album. It was yeah. so cool. I love that it looked like he had a, like a, like a spider-man mask or something yeah so it sounds like uh even if the music wasn't that hard though she tended to be drawn to the kind of rebellious characters oh was my mom uh, attracted to rebellious characters yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like, uh, she yeah she married a couple of 
uh, of convicts. Yeah, she was very into the bad boys. Okay. Uh, so the Willies and the Waylands and the <laughs> yeah. Those yeah. So is is your uh, guitar playing casual at this point, or do, are you already at the time that you're picking it up after the trumpet? How does that go? Is it a serious endeavor, or is it something you're kind of well, messing around? When I was a kid, before I even got a trumpet, I told my mom, ironically, I mean, this the first part couldn't be further from the truth, but it seemed like the kind of thing that you would tell, that you would want to do if you were really poor. I said, I'm going to be a doctor, and then uh, during the week, so that we can always have some money, and then I'm going to be a rock and roller on the weekend. And so... I just didn't care about school enough to be a doctor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's it's a lot of school, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, uh but uh I got my first guitar and just punished my friends over the phone, you know. I just like I would go home, sit in my room and practice for 6 hours a day. I'd wake up in the morning and I would practice and just try, you know, the, this is 1987. You know, there's, there's not, there's not an internet. There are magazines that have tablature mm -hmm. and that's it. And then there's just like sitting next to your cassette deck or your record player and rewinding and trying to figure out like, you know, translating a sound you hear coming through a speaker and trying to decipher like all of the things that are coming through because there's no you you can't just go on youtube then and and you know, <laughs> uh, there's no like isolated tracks there's no um you can't even watch a band live unless there's a live concert vhs or something that you can copy from one of your friends at school you're just like trying to decipher like what is the which guitar part is one guitar, you know, which is the one guitar line and which is the other. They, a lot of times they just feel like one really busy thing to an untrained ear. And are you trying to learn it on ACDC while you're developing your skills or? or a I mean, I learned bands? a lot of ACDC songs for sure, but I kind of, it was the eighties. And so I was just like, I was really impressionable and I was like, oh man, I just want to know how to do the really fancy flashy stuff because it appealed to me. You know, it was just like any, it was kind of like any shiny thing. It was like the slam dunk. It was the 60 yard field goal. It was the, you know, that was it. So I, tr I tried very hard to, do that kind of thing and sort of for a minute aspired as a kid to go to GIT which is a music school in Hollywood but I just I never had I never had it still I don't I mean now I'm old and arthritic and like I mean I went I recorded my part of a music performance out in the 35 degree weather last night uh and I was just like, man, I'm getting too old for this. <laughs> I can relate to that. Um, and so, are there any names that of bands that you or artists that you can remember that you were trying oh, yeah, to learn? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
So, you know, as a kid before I played guitar, it like the first the first two bands that really mattered to me were ACDC and Kiss. Those were bands that felt like my bands, you know. They weren't my mom's music. And they were my uncle's music, but he was only a few years older than me, you know, or he was 10 years older than me. But for an uncle, that's not much. Yeah. So those were the two bands that really made an impression on me. They had the coolest album covers. They had the best lyrics, the shit, you know, stuff that I didn't understand as a kid. But I knew that I wanted to. Sure. <laughs> I wanted to understand what they were talking about. So... By the time I started playing, I hadn't lost interest in those bands by any stretch. Um, but I was into like, there were, you know, Steve Vai, you know, is still the king of shred guitar. Sure. Um, I was into Paul Gilbert, who I've been fortunate enough to have as a guest on my podcast, which is amazing. Um, and George Lynch of Dawkin. I'm a huge fan. You know, I'd love to get him on the podcast. But yeah, uh, but more shred guys. Warren Demartini, I still love his playing. He's, I think he's great. And you, uh, I think that you can hear. I was, you know, I'm a huge Eddie Van Halen fan, but. That was the kind of thing that didn't, that seemed like jazz to me. Like he's speaking another language. Yeah. So I never tried to learn many of, I never tried to learn his solos because they didn't seem real. And it, it seemed like alien language. Uh, it was very groundbreaking for sure. Um, oh, and is, so I'm trying to imagine you talked about. I forgot the word you used, but you said you were basically bothering your friends. Uh, when oh. did you start knowing you were getting better? <laughs> yeah, so I would learn a song, you know, and I'd get so excited. I'd call them on the phone and stick the phone down by the <laughs> crappy speaker on my amplifier and just listen to this. <laughs> and they'd be like, what is it? I'm like, what are you, are you aren't you even listening? You know, um, but I think, and still to this day, when you create something, there's that, there's that thing where you're like, I'm really doing it. But there's also that voice that's, that's saying to you, like, are you though? <laughs> <laughs> you might want to double check your work before you turn it in. <laughs> well, it's subjective, uh, right? So it's hard to tell. Yeah. I remember... And I, 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 I've talked about this on my podcast where I've, I've told people I got so excited when I heard how records were made. You know, people record different parts at different times sometimes. It's not just like live. And I was like, wow, that's incredible. Multi-track multi tape recording. And we had like, you know, two boom boxes. And so I thought I was... I thought I was really onto something. Turns out every kid who's ever had two boom boxes and a guitar does this. You record into, you know, using the built-in microphone and then play it back and record that while you play along on another boom box. 
that's what a poor kid does if you don't have a four track. And uh, yeah, and I would play those cassettes for my friends and they would basically throw them out the window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So were you playing any shows in high school or? Uh, n I mean, I eventually, my senior year of high school, I joined the school band again. And they let me join the school band if I would play trumpet in concerts. That was the sort of, you know, that was the caveat. But I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. I did, I maybe did a couple of things, but mostly I played guitar at the basketball games, which was great. We would just, you know, it was me and a drummer kid, this guy, Ryan, he was great. <laughs> And we would play, I mean, we did Hop for Teacher. We thought that that was a real hoot. You know, we thought that was funny. That and, is funny. <laughs> yeah. And uh, a bunch of other songs that were, you know, popular at the time. Rock songs that we liked. Well, did you do the vocal intro um, where they're talking about the teacher? <laughs> Whoa! Yeah. Uh, no, it was an instrumental, like late night. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think they would have, uh, I think we would have been reprimanded for that, probably. I don't think anyone was hip to what we were doing anyway. They probably thought that, it, you know, the teachers at least, they probably thought we wrote it. <laughs> I, I certainly wasn't going to let them believe any differently. That's awesome. So what happens next? Well, it, there's not a lot. I mean, for me. There was not a lot of opportunity in Granite Falls, Washington. I have a lot of friends that still live there. G great friends. And they've made great lives for themselves. There was nothing but bad influence for me there at home and all around me. I was very easily, it's very easy to assume that I could have ended up in prison uh, or dead. Or both. I mean, why? we're all going to die someday, but, uh, you know, prematurely dead or dead in prison or some combination of all that. So I was just like, I, I don't want to be here. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to get a girlfriend here and get stuck here. I don't want to, I don't want to get hooked on drugs here, which would be a very, very reasonable option to as assume for me and a lot of my friends, and certainly my family. Um, and I was just like, I don't know what to do. I was not the most confident kid. And uh, so I wasn't going to move to Seattle. It was only an hour away, you know. But then it's like an hour and a half now, maybe two, <laughs> the traffic. But uh, I joined the Marine Corps, which is crazy for a, a long-haired kid to do. Um, and it was great. It was great for me. I did a lot of destructive stuff, self-destructive stuff mm -hmm. while I was there. But um, it was good for me. It was good for my confidence. And when I left the Marine Corps, I went to Seattle mm -hmm. and jumped in headfirst. And okay. so tell us a little bit about that. I had a friend 
who was one of like my closest neighbor friend, my buddy Jeremy. He had moved to the city, had a job at a cemetery. And my first job when I got out of the Marine Corps was uh, digging graves. I was a grave digger and a groundskeeper. And uh, I got fired from that job for showing up to work with bright red, like, you know, fire engine red hair. They were like, you can't. The client. <laughs> they were just like, you know, you can't, you can't look like that here. I was like, well, why not? Uh, everyone's dead, you know? What's the problem? But I guess I suppose I can see it now. But <laughs> you know, I had a hat on most of the time anyway, so it does. I got fired and uh, did some construction work with my uncle Chris, the drummer with the missing finger, and uh, <laughs> for the summer until I could figure out what I was going to do. And uh, then I got a job at the Pike Place Market and sort of got embedded downtown. And it's a whole other world down there in, in the Pike Place Market in Seattle. It's kind of, it's crazy. I met a lot of people. I met Steve Vai there. Um, and uh, at that point, I had found a band to play with. I convinced these guys that I was a bass player because no one would have me as a guitar player. They, no one wanted a guy with a shaved head and, you know, whatever. They, they weren't having me. I wanted to be in helmet or tool or something, and everyone was trying to be not very good. And they were too punk rock for me or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I had to learn punk rock, you know, the hard way. <laughs> so, yeah, convince these guys that I could play bass. I saw this band play and they were, I thought they were good. And I just was so excited to be able to talk to people that had a band, you know. So I was, I was talking to them after the show, like, wow, you guys are really good. What's, what, you know, how does this work? You know, <laughs> they're like, well, we're bummed. Our bass player's leaving. And I was like, well, I mean, I play bass, you know, lie. <laughs> and uh, I didn't even have a bass. I didn't know what a bass did really, you know. Awesome. Uh, so I borrowed a bass. They gave me a demo tape. I borrowed a bass from my brother-in-law and learned, they said, learn these two songs. It was a five song cassette I learned all five songs and I showed up to play with them and they were they were surprised and happy that I learned all five of the songs and they were like all right you're in and that became the template by which I sort of chased down everything I've ever done no one's ever invited me to join their band <laughs> I've just worn them down uh, and so did that band have any longevity well no and and there was uh there eventually uh joe our singer he died um but it was you know it was a great band to be in joe also was a you know was a sweet guy he's a troubled guy um 
but I wanted to do other stuff, you know? It was kind of, it wasn't a jam band, and sometimes we did some rock, like heavy rock, but it was like, it didn't completely fulfill me. Mm. And so I wanted to be able to do other things, and that was a problem, and I got a talking to, and I was like, look, I'm, I'm not in the Marine Corps. I'm done getting talkings to. <laughs> like, that's not how this works. That's not how life works for me anymore, uh, for better or worse. <laughs> so, yeah, so I quit. I was like, all right, well, I mean, it's, like, I can't, I'm not doing an exclusivity with you. Like, that's it. So, I had this crazy idea that if I hadn't made it by the time I was 25, that I was too old. You know, I didn't show up until I was 21. So I played with a couple other bands and then I quit. Quit music? Yeah. I mean, I had set a goal. I failed to reach that goal. And I told myself that that was what I was going to do. And I did it. That's kind of how I work. Well, thank you for being on the show. No, <laughs> that's a good story. Uh, yeah. No, I'm kidding. Um, so what's the next, what's the next part that happens after you I go to community college for three weeks? For whatever reason, I had this lapse in my thought process where I was like, I'm not a school person. So I quit and I go back to school, right? And I hate it. I hate it. Uh, I'm, you know, at that point, I'm 25. Even though there are a couple people that are older than me, I already feel too old to, to be there. I don't know that I would feel that way now, but I still don't think that I'm a good candidate for classroom learning. Um, and after three weeks, I was like, all right, it's time for me to step on the gas pedal again. And so I started, I started booking slash managing a band, which was ridiculous because I didn't know anything about that. I was just <laughs> like, I mean, I can call people, you know, as well as anyone. And I can, I have a lot more time to do it now that I'm not going to school. And I had a coffee shop job and you know, made good tips and it was great. So uh, I started doing that and they were going to make a record. And then they were like, do you want to join the band? Maybe that was the first band that like actually invited me. And I said, absolutely. As a guitar player, I hadn't played guitar in, you know, five, six years at that point. And playing the bass was probably the best thing I ever did for my guitar playing. So I joined this band. It was called Nevada Bachelors. We made two records. When we recorded that first record, I'd been playing the guitar again for maybe two months. And I had written my parts for all the songs. And there's some stuff on there that I'm still really proud of and that I don't think that I would be able to write now that I've been playing more regularly and have, you know, all these other ideas and all of this other different vocabulary, right? So made a couple records with those guys. That band dissolved. 
Um, I invited myself in to be in Harvey Danger, this band um, that had had a big hit in the 90s. They made a second record, and I knew the guy that was making their, producing their records. And um, I saw him. If you would share for the listeners how one invites themselves into a band. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a fine art i mean you gotta like find out you gotta find out what like what's going on because if there's already someone holding down that position you, the that's just a moot point right you don't invite yourself in to sit on their lap i mean maybe you do but i don't um i'm big i crush their legs so uh, John had told me, yeah, we made the Harvey Danger, the second Harvey Danger record. And I played a bunch of guitar on the record. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Are you are you going to join the band? And he's like, no, but I'm playing a couple shows with them and they need someone to, you know, fill my spot when they go on tour because I'm not going to do that. And I said, I know a guy. Right. I know a guy. And so he's like, oh, interesting. And so I just started, you know, our bands had played together, uh, Harvey Danger and Nevada Bachelors. And I did it. I played a couple shows with Sean, the singer, just playing guitar with him. And and then I just maybe drunkenly cornered him like, hey, uh, if you need a guy, I'm your guy. Like, I'll go. I'll leave right now. I'll leave, I, I could learn your songs in two days and one two skidoo let's go and i'm sure that they laughed and like yeah sure but i got the call and then that was it it was it was on you know so far did the um which was a better experience for you the nevada bachelors or the harvey danger experience at that point they're completely different because i was I was more a part, I was a member of the band of, of Nevada Bachelors and I contributed some, some music and wrote all my parts and, and it operated, you know, generally democratically, you know, there was, Rob was the main guitar singing songwriter, but you know, we were a band and Harvey Danger, like I worked for them. It was, it was, uh, insanely liberating like i didn't have to worry about anything i didn't have to worry about how many shirts we sold i didn't have to worry about how many tickets we sold when we went on tour or how the record was doing i didn't have to go up you know when we pull into whatever town and those guys have to go off and do a radio interview i was like i'm gonna go check out the local record stores you know it was it was amazing and i had convinced those guys that my friend john roderick was totally a killer keyboard player yeah he's great and uh he joined the band shortly after i did and those guys would go off and do their thing and john and i would go on these crazy adventures in all these all these towns it was great i loved it and i like I would love to do that again. I would love to do that way more than I would love to have my own band again, right? At this point. 
It's interesting because earlier on when you were talking about your first band, you mentioned that it wasn't fulfilling. So my assumption is at this point, it's feeling more fulfilling. Well, it wasn't fulfilling because stylistically, mm. um, you know, it was it was a little more subdued. It was a little more heady. And it was, a, you know, I wanted to just be able to to bash it out. There's nothing greater there's no greater feeling than just the enveloping sound on a stage. Like, you know, a stage, it, it vibrates, you know, not like an earthquake, but, but sound, sound, you know, they're called sound waves. It, it moves you in ways that you, you know, you don't, you feel, but, there's just no greater feeling than than being in front of a cranked up two two cranked up half stacks. It's just the best feeling. I would I would take it over any other you know hedonistic indulgence in the world. So how long does that feeling last? Is it does it last last longer than crack? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, it's not like, it's a common story. Like you, musicians go on tour, you spend all your time traveling. You, you know, you, you sit on your ass for 23 hours to do what you love to do for one hour. And that leaves a lot of time for monkey business. <laughs> right? Sure. So, I mean, the feeling, it lasts a while. I mean, when you play your first big show and you're like, whoa, they know this, they know the songs or, or at least they know the song, you know, it's a, it's a great feeling. And if you've been playing for, I mean, I remember the first time I played in front of people in Seattle, it was, you know, a couple hundred people at an outdoor thing. And I was so nervous. And then you know, after that, it was always 15 people, 25 people, Tuesday night, maybe, you know, whatever. You just keep, keep going, maybe get some breaks, get in some different bands, you know, get your feet wet, play in front of bigger crowds. Now I don't even get nervous. Like I'm almost more nervous after the show because touch back on the 23 hours you know like i'm i'm sober now and uh you know you those 23 hours are scary if if you if you have some addiction stuff built into you you know if it's uh so i'm almost more nervous after the show not because i think i'm gonna like drink or use drugs because uh a lot of people will chase chase that dragon they'll they'll go for drinking and drugging because like you just got off this amazing rush like now what it's sure. you know you have to learn to go back to the bus and pour emergency into a bottle of water and pound that and then have some tea and read a book like that is not the natural inclination of a touring rock musician for sure <laughs> It seems like that, as you mentioned, it would be such a letdown to go from that energy 
to that solo experience of i mean not anymore i mean the uh the thing now is if i work towards something then it happens i don't let i don't let whatever you know the wake of that that could potentially tailspin into depression which is what would fuel anything like that uh any bad behavior um i don't i don't sit on my hands waiting for that feeling to to capture me you know i'm like all right well let's let's get up and get on with it and let's let's go what's next and speaking of uh what's next how that harvey danger gig listed roughly a year year and a half yeah and it was great i loved it i loved every minute of it it was just like and i was on top of the world i mean i was getting a salary you know it wasn't a lot but for me it was the most money i'd ever made and i don't even mind telling you how much it was 500 bucks a week for a musician in 2000, that was a lot of cake for me. Plus, for him, I didn't. I never went out to a restaurant or did anything, and you got fed everywhere you went. Steal the salami plate, make sandwiches on the bus. Like I was, I was as happy as a pig in shit. Sure, I can imagine. Yeah. And so- uh, so what's the next thing that happens? Within three months, on my birthday in 2000, the year 2000, so 20 years ago, on my birthday, uh, I tried out for a band called Alien Crime Syndicate, which a couple of my friends, like guys that, you know, my bands had played with them before, and I knew a couple of the guys in the band. And... Uh, same thing. They were like, I oh, learned, learn a couple songs or whatever. And they tried a bunch of people out, but I think people would come down and they'd say like, Oh, I'm a big fan or whatever. They told me, Oh yeah. You, you know, every, every person that's been down here is a big fan. <laughs> Teach me your songs when I come into audition, but I had learned all the songs and there was a lot of, if you listen to the music, it seems not very nuanced, but in the in the rhythmic sense, there were a lot of accents and pushes and pulls, and I'd learned all of them because I thought that's important shit. That's like it's a part of the song. Like it's a very important part of the song. Um, and I learned it all. Like I could have played a show with them the the first time I walked in a room, and they were like, "Great, you're in." And within a few months. I also joined Loaded. So for for a minute, I was in all three bands and I felt like, you know, unstoppable. So you can't gloss over how you ended up in Loaded. Pretty much the same way I've ended up in every band. Like the way I ended up at Alien Crime Syndicate was I was, Nabil owned this this record store. Nabil now uh, runs 4AD America. And, you know, writes for the New York Times. and But back then, he played in rock bands in Seattle and owned a record store. And I just would 
punish these guys. I would just show up at my lunch break from my job and just never go back to work and just hang out, you know, just linger. And he told me that they needed a guitar player. And I said, what about me? And he kind of laughed. And I was like, well, fuck you, man. No, seriously, what about me? And he said, uh, really? Yeah, really. Like, I don't know why everyone thinks I'm joking when I say, well, what about me? <laughs> Maybe because I'm always joking, but I'm not like, uh, I don't joke. Like if I'm like, hey, I'll join your band. Uh, I'm not joking. Um, so, yeah, um, that was it. I went down, did it. I heard that Duff was making a record. I had met him before through the presidency, United States of America, that band from oh, yeah. Seattle. And uh, and he was making a record with a guy, this guy, Martin Fevier, who made the second Nevada Bachelors record. And we had maintained friendship and, and still do. And uh, I heard that they were making a record. They had tried a bunch of guitar players out. No one was really doing it. They didn't, you know, a lot of people in Seattle at that time didn't learn to play guitar from listening to Aerosmith and the Sex Pistols and for that matter, like the shred guys, you know, they, they heard Nirvana and they were like, I don't have to do that shit. I can just learn a bar chord, write a song that's halfway good. And if I have a great band, then I'm going to be famous or whatever. That was the attitude of a lot of people. And sure, I mean, sure it works, but not for, work for those guys, but they wrote gr amazing songs, you know? So I said, what about me? And, you know, I, I, I think I had to say, what about me three times till I finally got the chance to go in. And thank God Duff wasn't there because I'd have been really nervous, you know. He's a huge Guns N' Roses fan. So uh, they had a couple songs that they wanted some guitar playing on. I went in one night with Martin it was just me and Martin and we always worked really well together and I knocked out some guitar stuff for these two songs and Duff called me the next like next day or two days later and it was like the classic thing where you're, you know you're hello and then he's like hey it's Duff and you're like whatever you know <laughs> fuck off Steve you know and uh there you go. Duff was like, I really liked what you put on the record. I haven't heard anyone around here play guitar like that. I love it. Would you be interested to come down and play with the band and see, you know, see how it works? And I was like, yes. Yes. So, boom. No. And so how long did all three, membership in all three last? Harvey Danger sort of like imploded for a, for a moment and it was a drag, but I was so excited about everything that was going on. And for a while I was in the other two bands. Lo uh, Loaded wasn't super active, you know, Duff was going to school and we went to Japan a couple times, went to LA a few times. Um, and, you know, I mean, I've, 
all of the most amazing things that I've done in my music career, I've I've gotten to do with that group of of fellas. And eventually the bass player from uh, Alien Crime Syndicate, Jeff Rouse, joined Loaded, like shortly after I did. And um, I'm going to talk to him later tonight for my podcast. Nice. Um, so we did that like that. Alien Crime Syndicate ended up getting a record deal. And Jeff and I had to sort of figure out what we were going to do. So we had to say, we, you know, we need to focus on this because there's an opportunity and Loaded isn't really, you know, it's not, it's not going for it. And as it turned out, Velvet Revolver was you know, on the verge of happening. Mm -hmm. So the timing was, was fine. Dave Kushner came in and played guitar and ended up in Velvet Revolver. And uh, uh, we went, did our thing. Made, we made a record, toured around a bunch, uh, had a mostly disappointing, we had a lot of fun experiences, had some great tours, some amazing shows, but mostly I got really drunk and disillusioned and I quit. So what year is this that you quit? Probably 2003, I think. Yeah. Probably 2003. What made you disillusioned? Well, that was my, I, I guess I just, I'd heard from all these people like about the experience of getting a record deal and I was just so excited and, but mostly I was naive, you know, like it was going to happen for us. At the, the golden path was laid out in front of us and we were going to kick the gates open, you know, and it just doesn't happen that way. Um, and probably I wasn't, you know, then I wasn't mature enough to, to just sit back, let what was happening happen. And yeah, I wasn't mature enough to, to let go of the things that I wasn't in control of, which is everything, you know? So it, it was really frustrating for me. And it was some of the darkest times of my life, for sure. Uh, especially at the end. And any of those guys in that band will tell you the same thing, you know. Um, I'm probably lucky to have gotten through that time alive. Sure. And then the, the band reconvenes first around 06, loaded? Or yeah, no I I quit Alien Crime Syndicate, moved to Portland, and I I worked down there for a little while, and then I come back to Seattle, moved back. I played in John John Roderick's band for a tour. Uh, the guy that was in Harvey Danger with me, he has a band called The Long Winters, and I went out with him, made half a record with him, and then quit that. Uh, mostly because of our relationship and dynamic we're great friends uh you know sometimes it's not great to work for your friends but again i probably also neither of us but i can only take responsible for my own part was definitely not mature enough to recognize what i needed to do at that time so i was just like later you know you're not the first artist that we've interviewed that talked about 
chasing the dream of getting signed or a successful career that actually liked it less after they achieved? Well, there are, <laughs> there are so many fewer freedoms. The crazy thing about, and I, you know, what the fuck do I know? I'm old and in the way at this point, you know, but the way you can do things now is I think better than it used to be. And I think it's too bad that Spotify and other streaming services aren't, can't pay, can't distribute the money that they have coming in, in a more, you know, socialist manner. But the truth of the matter is that's just, that's not even how America is set up. Like if you want to tear Spotify down, like start in your own backyard. I mean, I'm not here to get on a socialist platform and like uh, blow my horn, but you know, Spotify is America, man. Mm -hmm. You know, you, are you, you're bummed that Metallica has 2 billion spins and they get all the money and you have 20,000 and you don't get any. You're an independent business owner. You're a small business owner. That's how America works, unfortunately. But there are things that you can do that Metallica can't do. Fuck Metallica can't do a lot of stuff. Metallica can't make a couch riffs video. Not as well as couch riffs can. And I'm not even, I don't feel weird about saying that. <laughs> I, I want to dive into how you make those uh, for sure. Um, yeah. But before I want to go back to the timeline real quick. And so what's the, so we're around 06, 07. Yeah. And so. Yeah. You know, I think Velvet Revolver was kind of uh, starting to taper off. And I had, you know, had always been in contact with Duff, you know, and I'd see him when he came through town and, and still t I talked to him, you know, a few times a week, just about random shit, Seahawks, whatever. And uh, he just started kind of like throwing the idea about doing the band. Like, I think we played a benefit. That's always the benefit show that gets bands, you know, in a room together again. And then and they're like, oh, man, this is fun. You know, let's do this. We had some leftover songs that we never recorded. And he said, well, let's, let's record an EP. And so I would drive up from Portland and drive back and practice up there with the guys and then we just did it. We got a record deal. Went on tour. Like it, I mean, yeah, we a lot of we went. We made the EP. Went to the UK and toured. Came back. I'm trying to think if then we went to Japan and played a festival. Came back, made a record, and then just went for it. And then it was like that for the next, you know, from two thousand eight to. 2012 so a good four years of just going 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 and it was great i mean i played with 
so many of my idols on the same stages or ate next to them and catering or whatever, you know. So tell us what that was like meeting some of your idols. I mean, I had a few experiences over the years that were disappointing because you, you know, that 23 hours can put different people in different states of mind, <laughs> you know, and if you, if you hold an admiration for someone and they're all fucked up, well, you, you know, you're liable to have a bad experience, you know, or right. if they're, who knows? So it's, I always, and to, you know, to this day now, if I, if I'm around someone that I admire, unless I'm talking to them in a podcast, I won't, I won't say so. I'm certainly not going to, I might not even talk to them at all. Just because why would I want to ruin it? I learned that very quickly. Sometimes it's better than one expects. And sometimes it's in kind of ends your admiration or it can and, and one's admiration for somebody. Oh, you bet. Yeah, you bet. But it, it was great. We got to do a lot of amazing stuff. Um, toured with Motorhead, you know. Wow. So uh, you met, did you meet Lemmy? Yeah. And still in contact with Phil. Um, wow. Yeah. It's, I mean, we, we did a lot of great, like I said, all the, the biggest stuff uh, I did with that band. Yeah. I want to ask specifically about the uh, documentary concert film. Yeah. Tell us your experience with that. The It's, it's so easy in other lives. Here's the thing. We would have this, ha uh, this, you know, habit, good or bad, of everyone would get all coffeeed up in the morning and then call each other with all these terrible ideas. And when, when the taking record came out, Duff had this idea that I thought was terrible. And, but he was all coffeeed up and he's like, we're going to make a movie. But it's going to be broken up episodically. And there will be a music. We're going to record a music video for every single song. And when you string them together, it's going to tell a story and it's going to be great. But there, there, was a, there were just a lot of stuff. And that thing got greenlit. And, and there, was a, there was a lot about making that that was really fun. You know, but it was also pretty hodge. Like we didn't have someone, someone didn't, nobody wrote a script. There was no one hard directing anything. And in the end, the th it, it got finished after a lot of, and, and some craziness, legal stuff. Um, it got finished, but wasn't really what anyone had envisioned originally, you know? So we just kind of moved on from that. And then later, Duff had, while we were on tour, had been writing a book. And uh, I still have like a, you know, a photocopy pre whatever first draft of, of it with an alternate title. I pulled it out, took a picture of it, sent it to him the other day. And he was like, is that what I called it back then? <laughs> but we were on tour and we came home from tour and he was all coffeeed up and he was like, I have an idea for a movie. And I was like, I'm out. <laughs> and the first show, oh no, it wasn't a movie. It was, it was a show. 
Um, uh, yeah, so it was a was this a show with a slideshow and and the music and conceptually it was what the movie was, and I was like, I don't know, man. Like I just I I just didn't feel great about higher cons. I didn't feel great about uh, incorporating art into into our our thing, and so I sat out, and Jeff Fielder did the first show but I attended, I went, you know, cause they're my friends. I was just like, I didn't, and it was incredible. It was so cool. Um, but then we were going to do a couple shows, you know, similar to that on tour, like, like, uh, whatever. Sometimes we'd do two nights. We'd do a, a book show and then we do a rock show or we do one in front of the other, whatever. And so I started doing the show, in lieu of Jeff. Uh, and then when the film concept started coming together where it was just like, well, this is how the show is just on a bigger stage. It was, that's exactly the show. Well, I mean, we didn't have a string section, but we had done it a bunch of times. We did have the pedal steel cause Paul, the pedal steel player was our tech, you know? Um, so in the film, you know, Jeff came back and, and thank God, because he's he's amazing, and, and I'm me. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were great as well. Um, and so I'm sure you want to talk about um, your podcast. How did that come about? Like I mentioned, I never wanted a podcast. Um, it had been suggested to me a couple times by people who I I don't know if I trusted their opinion or not. They're like, you sure like to talk. You should have a podcast. <laughs> and I was like, I don't think so. Sounds like a terrible idea. And, um, but I, mo I moved to New York in 2015 after I got married. And I was in Brooklyn. I was working for a coffee company. Uh, I was working on making this record uh, with, a, with a, this Galdesia. The record came out. It's called The Union Gospel. We played a couple shows around town. Um, and this coffee company that I was working for got into some trouble. There were three owners. One of the owners got into some Me Too trouble. Mm. And it uh, absolutely devastated the business. And it was not a New York company. It was a San Francisco company. So they lost all of their wholesale customers. So yeah, I, lo I lost, I was a salesperson and I lost all, all of my accounts. Everyone did. I mean, there's still, you know, no salespeople there. This company survived and I'm, I, and now I'm one of their biggest customers actually, but uh, I was unemployed in New York with a, you know, $3,500 a month rent. You know, I had unemployment coming in. Um, I looked, I explored a few options like, God, ah, what am I going to do? But in that period of time, I applied for a job to work for Line 6, which is like a tech-based guitar effects company. They make guitar gadgets 
professional and and uh you know hobbyist level uh and i thought that i I could for sure get this job i was like this would be great you know i had i had worked a little bit selling guitars i had some experience good talker (laughs) (laughs) or talker i don't know if uh, good or not but um uh they said we love your resume and i was like well of course like let's go uh, send me checks and um they said hey uh can you make a couple of videos of you playing one of our products uh it doesn't have to be professionally shot it doesn't have to look great we just have to know that you can play and you know maybe talk about talk about it or whatever and at this point i'd been unemployed for two or three months right oh I, I and so <laughs> it didn't make any sense i was just like oh yeah sure and I did the video and I sent it to them and I didn't hear from them for a week. I was like, well, you know, let's see. Uh, two weeks went by and I emailed the human resources and they were like, uh, well, maybe give it a little more time. And then I was like, this is, this is getting weird. It's been a month and I'm, I'm not out on sales calls yet. And I went and looked at the video and I was like in sweatpants without shoes or socks on i might have had socks on but you know unshowered unshaven uh you know i i took a shower before i did the podcast here at least i i looked like i just crawled out from underneath a pile of newspapers and uh i was like oh right it's a big corporate fancy company you know and I showed my wife and she was just like, what are you doing? You know, I was like, I don't know. I just thought that I had the gig. And she's like, it sounds great though. And the, you know, I used the GoPro or whatever. She's like, you should post that. So I posted it and people liked it more than they liked my other stuff. And I don't, how much people like my stuff, you know, with a, in that regard i don't that doesn't hold a lot of water for me i don't i don't i don't put value in myself based on that but i was like hmm maybe i'll maybe i'll do it again and so i made a couple more and then i was like i wonder how i can make these sound better and then i started trying and i realized oh if i if i actually try i could make something interesting and cool and started with me sitting on the couch in front of my record collection that was behind me playing along to a record actually playing and it sounded terrible so then i figured out how to get an mp3 and play along to that but then i started getting dinged like the for copyright infringement mm-hmm. and eventually i just i started doing complete covers like i would compose i would record all the parts you know and um and then i started having guests i was like i wonder what would happen if i got a guest to sit on the couch with me and duff was coming through town on tour and he took took the subway over i think he took the subway to my place and like came up and uh and that you know that video still sits up on my youtube 
Um, and then I got had Matt Sweeney. Duff introduced me to Matt Sweeney, who does a thing called um, Guitar Moves and has also had a storied studio and touring career and bands of his own. And, and he's an, an incredible musician. But And then it just kind of snowballed. And that was the model. But I was always thinking, how do I make this, how do I keep this simple? Because there's, again, what the fuck do I know? Like, really, I don't know anything. But I'm like, I think that people appreciate that I'm sitting on a couch and I'm clearly really playing and I'm not, because I would leave it, it would all, that's the other thing. It was always the first take. So I'd have someone over, we'd learn the bit, learn how we interacted and played along to the backing track. And then we push record and whatever happened, happened. Mm. Thankfully, there were no real train wrecks, you know. But I moved upstate two years ago, and that put a hamper on everything. Well, upstate, I moved to the Hudson Valley. Uh, you know that people love to call the Hudson Valley upstate, but yes. <laughs> say, yeah, upstate versus downstate, yeah. <laughs> not upstate. <laughs> valley now, and so it's, you know, I'm like two hours away from anyone, and I tried to do it for a while. I was renting Airbnbs. It would cost me 250 bucks to shoot an episode that, you know, there was no oper- There was no way that that would ever make money because it's copyright material. Mm-hmm. Um, and making money is not my my end like my end goal, but continuing to do it is and if i spend all my money on airbnbs and places that i don't sleep or live well that's going to put an end to the whole thing very quickly so uh that's when i started doing the podcast because it's something that i could do remotely um and so about this time last year i actually started to try you know i was like wonder what would happen if i actually tried um we could probably look back at the published dates but in maybe around november i I was like i should try and put one out every week i should really try to do it because at that point i was doing one every two three weeks just like well i'll just do it whenever um and then i was like no i'm gonna push i have a goal i have a real goal because first three months I was, I was getting, you know, 50 or 60 streams, you know, and I was like, well, that's cool. (laughs) 50 or 60 people listen to me talk to someone for fucking two hours. Jeez, what's wrong with them? Uh, (laughs) Man, those guys need some more shit to do. (laughs) Uh, And, uh, I I reached my goal for the you know for the calendar year which was a modest goal but it was almost three times the the amount of streams that I had had at the time that I made the goal and so new year's day 2020 came and I was like I'd like to I'd like to triple that this year in 2020 
And I think that's totally achievable. I just have to keep trying. And uh, I am going to uh, quintuple. Wow. Pretty good. That's yeah. times five for all you, for everyone from Granite Falls. <laughs> it's, uh, that's an amazing podcast. It's okay. <laughs> uh, somehow I'm able to keep getting people to come talk to me, which is great. Um, and, you know, I made a wish list when I started doing it before I just even, you know, I made a wish list before I even had committed myself to actually trying. I don't know. I don't know what was going on in my head where I thought, well, I could probably make this happen, but I didn't try to make it happen. And so it never did, you know, but I had Nels Klein on that list. And last month I got Nels Klein on the podcast with the good help uh, of the, you know, the fretboard journal, they've introduced me. So I, you know, it's not like I was like texted him and said, Hey, bro. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you don't burn people and you try hard and you're, and you're not a dick and you, you know, I talk about the golden rule a lot, every episode. Um, I really think that if, if you, even if, if people are pester you or you're not interested in whatever someone's peddling you, like I get sp like spam sales things, you know, like, Hey, try this service, this shitty service that you don't need. And I respond to them because, <laughs> and I say, Hey, I appreciate you reaching out. I'm all set. Thanks. I mean, once a week I get a message from a t-shirt printer and they keep, you know, you're on a, some kind of a mailing list. I don't know who sells this shit, but someone sold my address a long time ago. So, but this is someone's job and I don't want to keep getting these emails. So it takes me 10 seconds to say, Hey man, thank you so much for reaching out probably this is the salesperson in me, like the considerate salesperson, like, man, if only someone had done this for me, I'd have not wasted so much time trying to chase someone down and say, what about me? If someone says, thank you, but no, thank you. I'm not interested. I have something I'm happy with. Then everyone can move on and you've treated them the way you want to be treated. Good way to think about it. I'm, I don't know if it's that's just the way I think. <laughs> I do have a question about the, you have a pretty rapid pace of releasing your episodes. That's as a fellow producer that stresses me out. <laughs> Does it, do you ever feel like you're uh, up against yeah. the clock? Look, man. Uh, <laughs> uh, so let, uh, this will be fun. This is going to be fun. And this is going to, this is going to fuck you up. <laughs> 2020 has fucked a lot of people up, right? So I was doing, you know, there were a couple of weeks that I, I released three episodes at the end of 2019 in pursuit of reaching the goal that I wanted. Okay. And, and then I, I quickly realized that's too, like, that's too much. 
I'm just going to do two, which is a lot. Yeah. So sure. uh, I've done two episodes a week all year, save a couple of weeks. Um, if there was a holiday or if there was like something like an event where I was like, hey, I'm not going to do an episode this week because there's this, I'm still sorting a lot of things out. Like, how am I going to release the performance videos and blah, blah, blah. So 2020 comes along and changes everything, right? Like, I can't sit on a couch with someone except for my dogs and, and my wife. And like half the time, they don't want to sit on the couch with my dogs always want to be on the couch. <laughs> but they don't get to be on the couch. Um, so uh, I, I see... Charlie Benante and Alex Skolnick and some other folks do a Rush song. I see this video and it looks like a Zoom call and they're all playing at the same time. And I'm like, this is fucking awesome. And this is the future. Like, this is it. And it was a lightning bolt moment. And I thought, two years ago, I did a video like this with Jeff Rouse. Um, in preparation for a benefit show that we played then, a loaded show. And basically, we both played along to an MP3 of one of our songs, and then I, I just cut it together and did it on a split screen, put it out. You can, you can find it on some, somewhere, I don't know. And uh, so I had done something like this before, but it never occurred to me to do it with a whole band because I had this idea in my mind that, you know, I wanted to do like a, a show. Like I wanted to, you know, wanted to, wanted to do like a late night show kind of a thing, but like, but on a couch. So I see this video and Alex and I have been friendly since he was on, on couches early on. And, I just texted him and was like, how'd you do that? And he told me, and I was like, well, that's what I thought. But then I just, I thought that sounded crazy. <laughs> and uh, I thought, hmm, I should, when I have some time, I'm going to figure out how to do this. Right about that time, the shutdown happened. Like everything, the shit just hit the fan. My salary got cut 50%, like a lot of people. I mean, but, and the unemployment thing, like all this stimulus and all this other stuff that people were stoked about, because there were a lot of people that were stoked to get unemployment and a stimulus extra, you know, like, I know people that made more money this year than they ever did working. Uh, well, the poor kid in me was like, uh-uh. You know, the, there was no talk of when my salary got cut, there was no talk of, um, you know, here's an, here's another 600 bucks a, a week for you, for people who uh, are hit by this stuff. I didn't waste any time. You know, I got a job, I got an entry level job at UPS loading semi truck tractor trailers for what was supposed to be part time in the evening. But it was so busy because everything was being shipped. They, it was a second 
full-time job. So for two months, I worked 16 hours a day, commuted uh, three and a half hours a day, and slept four hours a night. Because um, I thought that I had to, you know. Like I said, I, I, there was no talk of the stimulus stuff i couldn't wait around for that we you know my wife and i just bought this house up here like i wasn't interested in putting us in a position where this was going to go away or tax uh savings or like i just did it and during that time i was so stubborn and so driven but also probably a little angry i continued to do two podcasts a week i never missed i started a second fucking podcast so <laughs> i started a second podcast and produced the first uh the first two you know quarantine videos like uh, that I've that I've done. Wow. It was a it was a brutal time. Eventually, I started to doze off at the wheel between jobs, and uh, within a week of that time, uh, my salary came back, and I left oh. the PS job. Um, well, Lauren, we need to up our game. Seriously. <laughs> I'm feeling very unproductive. <laughs> Here's the thing. So when the UPS job went away and I went back to just working full time, I had so much energy. And I had so much time that I started six videos. They still haven't all come out because I don't know if you know this, but musicians aren't the easiest folks to organize. Um, I have a suspicion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so some of these have, you know, five months to get a video finished. It's crazy. Um, some of them come together much faster, but never, never quicker than six weeks ever. No way. Every musician says, oh, I'll get this to you after the weekend, like by Tuesday. But really what they mean Tuesday in two weeks. So however many people you have in one of these videos, it takes three weeks. Wow. So what's the motivation behind doing these movie these videos? Is it to stay in music? Is it to you mentioned kind of seeing it as like the future of music? What's the motivation behind it? I, well, hopefully it's not the future of music. Hopefully the future of music is that people get in rooms together yeah. and they get to enjoy playing music together and, you know, one person hits a chord and the sound waves go through everyone. And someone hits a drum and those sound waves go through everyone. And it's a fucking love fest. But until that happens... Um, I had always had this idea that I want the the songs that I have picked. I've tried to encourage people 
to do songs that people wouldn't expect to see them do right and uh you know as the gears started turning i was like well what if i actually put together bands that were also unexpected you know and you know the 2020 has given an opportunity for me to actually do that it's not the same but it's interesting and fun and, and entertaining for people um last so i've i don't know how many i've done a half a dozen now not nearly as many as i thought i would have you know because of the nature of I, you know, I still work full time. I'm still doing the podcast mm -hmm. and it's still just me with someone, uh, my buddy Don Gunn mixing the audio. Thank, thankfully. Um, but the, the best part about all of it is at last, you know, I got asked by this organization in Seattle called Smooch to make a, an all-star Seattle video for a fundraiser event um, that helps fund uncompensated healthcare at Seattle Children's Hospital. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I was like, yes, absolutely. 110%. And, uh, I, I put that together and it premiered last night on KEXP's YouTube channel. And it's, it was a great experience. Super, super fun. Um, it's, and it kind of rang a bell for me. It was like, you know what? This is, this is amazing. I, I cannot wait for the opportunity to use whatever platform I have to, to help people that need help more than I do again. So I don't know if anyone, if anyone is listening and they're organizing something, hit me up. I, I'm, I might be interested in putting something together to help you. Um, and for this particular event, you had uh, the lead singer from Death Cab for Cutie. Yeah, Ben Gibbard. And, yeah, the uh, band was amazing. The band was, um, the drummer is in Death Cab, Jason McGurr. The bass player is Nate Mendel uh, of the Foo Fighters and, and previously of uh, Sunny Day Real Estate. Um, two other guitar players besides me, Dave Depper from Death Cab and Ian Moore, who's a legend in his own right. He's a guy who grew up in Austin and was very like, you know, before he walked away and was like, eh, I'm going to go be a songwriter and hone, hone my craft that way. Like he was on the fast track to be, you know, the next guy, the guy. Um, he played guitar, uh, Jeff Angel of The Walking Papers was on acoustic. Uh, and then we did the song Highwayman by The Highwaymen. And uh, there, so I picked that song specifically because there's four singers. And I thought, why would I pick a song with one singer if I could get a song with four singers and raise maybe four times as much money? That's my, that was my logic. Um, I had to convince some folks that it was a good idea. <laughs> But turns out it was a great idea for awesome. once in my life. Um, and so the the verses were handled by Ben Gibbard of Death Cab, Duff, um, Isaac Brock of Modest Mouse, 
and Mark Lanigan. Wow. And the latter two guys, they don't pop up on the internet much. Like it was a, they, they were good catches and, and, and both were like super enthusiastic about being able to, to contribute to the cause, which is amazing. A great cause. That's a heck of a lineup. It was great, man. But here's the thing, like, there are a lot of people making videos like this, right? And, and it's, and they're all, they're almost all at least entertaining, you know, and great and fun. Sure. Uh, the one thing that I stick to, and I've sent a lot of people back to the drawing board, and that's part of why these things take so long. Turns out musicians aren't great at following directions. To tie it back to like the first take thing that I was doing when I was on the couch with people, I make people do this in a single pass and you film and record audio at the same time. So don't record a perfect, you know, multi-tracked guitar part and then lip sync to it and send that to me because I'm not going to use it. Like, get out of here with that shit. Everyone is, everyone wants music. Everyone wants live music. And let's face it, the best music is tracked live. So the best I can do is to have everyone track live separately. Right? So the music still has a little bit of a push and pull. It feels like a real performance because it is. We're just not in the room together. We're not even playing the song at the same time together, but everyone does it in a single pass live. Because um, I'm not trying to make shitty music videos. For all these songs, there's already great music videos, right? I'm trying to make performance videos. Mm -hmm. um, I love those, those videos. Um, there's so, some great ones out there. So what advice would you have for an aspiring musician? <laughs> Don't do drugs. <laughs> Just say no. Say yes to music. Say no to drugs and drinking. Unless you have absolutely no history of drinking and drugging in your family and as far as your family tree roots grow underground where you don't even they don't you know they never been to a family reunion just don't do it it's <laughs> that's number one number two i would say practice and don't practice alone if you if you can help it like right now of course, we have to practice alone, right? Mm -hmm. Play with people. Play with people. This advice that I got uh, and that I still, I mean, it's not hard for me to follow this advice, to be honest, but I was told, play with people that are better than you. <laughs> and I still am doing it all the time, you know? It's all I can do. Most people are better than me. So uh, you're going to learn, you're going to learn that way, you know? And lastly, don't, don't burn any bridges. Don't forget 
someone told me this once and I, and I listened to them. All the people you meet on your way up, you're going to see them on your way back down. So you best treat them with respect. Because sure. they're likely to be uh, right where you saw them last time. And, you know, even if you just have a crossword for someone that they don't deserve, they're not going to forget that. What's the saying? Like, people aren't always going to remember what you say to them, but they're going to remember the way that you make them feel. Um, I don't know. I don't think I like, I don't think that as a young person, I, I burned many bridges. I probably, I was, I was a pretty cocky young kid, but, um, I think that that's, that's, that's something that's worth, uh, putting in its practice. That's a good practice to, to have in your life. To go with kind of a point you were just making there for a second, what are some things that you think you've learned about yourself over the years that you've been doing it since picking it up as, you know, the guitar up as an early kid? <laughs> that learned like about me as a person? Mm -hmm. uh, that I have to play music. Like I won't, I won't quit again. There, I, you know, maybe I'll have breaks until I figure out what, what is next. Um, I've learned that I'm a lot more ambitious than I ever thought that I was. That might be a symptom of getting old and realize and, and seeing my mortality. You know, I'm, I'm way more than halfway done with life, you know, way more. I'm, I'll be 49 this month. That's way more than halfway done. And when I think about when I'm gone, uh, I guess people will miss me. But when I think about have I done everything that I wanted to do? Well, fuck no. Every day there's new stuff that I want to do. Like... <laughs> So you have to, what I've realized is like in my old, as I've aged, I realize I'm more driven than ever and stubborn. I know that I'm really stubborn. That actually segues well into something I noticed. You mentioned every band that you tried out for, you had most of, most, if not all of their songs able you were able to play them so you yeah. put the time in but then when you said the you were initially losing half your salary you took the initiative and took that extra job and you attacked it full on have you always had that drive um about things that i care about yeah i mean if you care if you look you uh, you can't put on whether or not you care about something you either do or you don't and it will be evident and i give a shit about having a roof over my head and uh i care about my family staying warm and dry you know um somehow miraculously i i worked really hard i continued to grow my silly accidental podcast through 2020 while working 16 hours you know, a day and commuting three and a half. It was like, 
when I look back on it, I don't, I have no idea how I did it. But the thing is, I didn't think I had a choice, you know, uh, whether or not people would have been disappointed if the podcast disappeared, didn't matter to me. Like maybe some people would have missed it and maybe some, but most people in the world, if you look at it in that way, like how many people are on earth? You guys are smart. You know, that I know, you know, the answer billions. How many people know what Couchrus is? It does, you know, it just doesn't matter. It's not important. What's important is a lot of other stuff. So like Kansas said, we're dust in the wind. So, <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So I don't know, man. Uh, yeah. If you give a shit about something, prove it. I like that. Prove it. Uh, because I'm not going to, I've lived, I lived enough life before I even got graduated high school to know that a lot of people are full of hot air. And I've, you know, and I think that a lot of people, I spent a lot of time in my life full of hot air. And I have a lot of, I've all, <laughs> I'm basically just the king of following through on, on joke ideas or bad ideas, even some of them. Was there ever a moment when you were playing for some of these bands that you played for that mentally you're, as you're playing, you're thinking, man, are they going to figure me out? I don't belong here. You know, that is a thing that you have to, you have to train yourself. You know, there's a song by Funkadelic that I listened to once a month called Good Thoughts, Bad Thoughts. And there, and it's, you know, it's, it's an incredible song and the music is, is insane, but a lot of it makes a lot of sense to me. It's like, be careful what you think because the seeds that you plant in your mind will grow and you will rise to your, I'm paraphrasing some of this shit. <laughs> you will rise to your greatest, uh, uh, you know, thought, you know, you, you're basically, you can self-realize yourself. Um, come here, Rose, come on. <laughs> so, you know, if you, if you think of yourself as something, you will be that. Not like uh, I think of myself as being the next fucking Steve Jobs or whatever. Um, well, that's maybe, but you're going to have to imagine more than just that. You know, if you think you are, you're going to sink to your lowest, the lowest depths of your esteem. If you think you're a, a trash person, you will treat yourself like trash and, and you will accept it when other people treat you that way. And it's, it's a lot easier to say it than to practice it because not a lot of people get what they deserve. And what do people deserve anyway? You know, uh, 
it's funny. I had Matt Sweeney on the podcast, like I mentioned, and we got off on this topic. It's the most commented section of any podcast I've had. We talk about luck. And he said, I don't know, man. I just think I've been insanely lucky in my life. And I said, I don't know. I don't believe in luck. And man, that lit people up. And and it really like, it gets people fired up in a lot of ways because it gets a, it gets a lot of stuff a lot of juice flowing because people are like, all right, well, are you, are you lucky? Cause you're, you're white. Well, I, I most certainly have white privilege. Absolutely. And if people don't agree, I don't give a fuck. It's true. That's true. I, a cop has never roughed me up for like, I could spit on a cop and not get my ass beat. Probably. I'm not going to spit on a cop because, <laughs> you know, I, I'm allergic to prison. But, uh, you know, people, people get pretty fired up about that. Um, sure. I, I got off on a topic there. I got all excited. But, but people, yeah, luck and what do you deserve? Someone recently... I also see all the comments that people type in, you know, in their fury. Now you have like uh, in Gmail, you can type a shitty email and click send. And they're like, are you sure? And you can <laughs> click that. All right. Uh, I take it back. Uh, but, you know, if someone comments on your video and then deletes it, I still get the message, you guys. <laughs> Guess what? I still get the message. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of people have, uh, <laughs> can I tell a funny story real quick? A few months ago, I woke up to, and I looked at my phone, the alarm goes off and I look at my phone and it's like, oh, there's some new comment on that, on that exact topic of luck. And some guy said, you know, of course. Uh, the guy who has a storied career and is recorded on tens of platinum albums. You know, Matt Sweeney's played on Cat Stevens, Adele, fucking Glenn Campbell, you know, just all this incredible stuff. Um, believes in luck and the, you know, the shithead who, whatever, you know, like had some like really... <laughs> horrible stuff to say about me like thinks that hard work is what gets you somewhere and i was like well uh yeah i mean sometimes some people do have to work harder than others some people can work hard their whole lives and not get anywhere and so i don't know is that missing element luck i don't know but I wear glasses, right? And so I see who this guy is and I look him up. I'm like, cause he, he disappears his message. He erases it. And uh, I see his name and I'm like, 
I can't send him a message because I want to send him a message. I'm like, you know what? The guy's a professional magician and it's 2020. I'm like, this guy's not performing. He's having a tough time. And he, he lashed out at me. So I'm going to send him a nice message. So I find him on Instagram and I say, Hey man, I got your message on YouTube. I know you deleted it, but listen, I want you to know, I hope you're doing all right. And uh, this is a shitty year for a lot of people. And I know you're a performer and I, I hope, I hope that this year is not cruel to you and I hope that you find a way to be happy and, and I just hope you're okay. Um, and he wrote me back and he goes, Hey man, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And <laughs> I, uh, I messaged the wrong guy. I was like, you know, the, it was like one of those like Aaron or Eric, you know, like uh, uh, with a C or a K or something. And so I just gave up. I was like, fuck. I messaged the wrong guy. He was like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. At least you tried to do a good deed. <laughs> well, I was just like, why would this guy say such shitty things? Now, I, know, I understand what motivates people to think shitty things. I, like, I battle shitty thoughts all the time. But, like, what, what compels a person to voice those things? And I, and I think to myself, like, what am I going to do? Fight fire with fire and be like, kiss my ass. You suck. Look at you, man. You can't play a D minor. Yeah. You know what? Like, is that what I want to do? No, man. I want to just say, Hey, thanks for stopping by. Sure. You doing okay? <laughs> you all right? I like it. Um, so what's the biggest takeaway from your story, Mike? Uh, just uh, say yes. Figure out, I mean, you don't have to know what you want to do. You don't have to know exactly what you want to do. And it's almost better if you don't know exactly what you want to do because you won't be disappointed by the adjustments you have to make along the way. You'll be able to accept them. You know, I thought life was going to be one thing. And I don't know that many people who thought their life was going to be exactly what it is. But, you know, I'm a little thicker than a lot of people. Took me some time to figure this stuff out. Just, um, yeah, be open to, be open to opportunities. Be kind to people. Um, what did you ask me? <laughs> the takeaway from your uh, life stories. Yeah. Just, I think you nailed it. I don't know. That's the takeaway is like, be open to, be open to opportunities. And if the door is even cracked, take a look at what's going on on the other side of the door. Um, you know, I, I had like a, I talk about having this hick inferiority complex when I got to Seattle, you know? And, you know, I read books and stuff, 
and I wasn't a complete hick, but you know, I still, I, I knew where I came from, you know, and I thought that everyone that was in Seattle knew something that I didn't know. And I thought that there was, you know, there was some secret, there was like a secret handshake or something that I just was never going to learn. Um, and there's not, <laughs> turns out, uh, there's no secret handshake. S different people know different things, you know? Uh, and that's, that's that. Like the people that you think are so, so cool and amazing, you can teach them something. And if they're not open to learning it, I mean, that's, that's their problem, not yours. That's powerful. It's the truth. Well, Mike, it's been a pleasure. We appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. I don't know. I can't speak for Lauren, but I'm sure she enjoyed it as much as I did. Absolutely. Man, will you guys shut up? <laughs> <laughs> the Path Distilled is hosted by Kevin Harris and Lauren Tashman, created and produced by Kevin Harris. The content is copyrighted by The Path Distilled, all rights reserved.